NMS Labs is an international forensic and clinical reference laboratory that is unsurpassed in its scope of toxicology tests, accuracy of results, scientific expertise, and innovation. Our state-of-the-art headquarters includes clinical, forensic, and research facilities, a dedicated and secure crime laboratory, and is staffed by more than 350 highly trained professionals. NMS Labs is passionate about promoting public health and safety, and we're proud to bring you our thought-leading podcast, NMS Intelligence. Welcome to NMS Intelligence, an exciting podcast series from NMS Labs. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Aya Chan Hosokawa. Aya is a forensic toxicologist with NMS. Aya, welcome to NMS Intelligence. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me here today. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Could you take a couple of minutes and tell the audience what you do as a forensic toxicologist with NMS Labs? Sure. So as a forensic toxicologist, my responsibilities include toxicological case review, expert testimonies, and writing expert opinion reports. I also do client communication and education for toxicological matters, prepare litigation documents review, and analytical specification for new and redeveloped testing. So what is it pretty much is, is that every time we have new testing or we need a little more work to redevelop testing, I will give certain criteria for our research and development department so that they have something to go with when it comes to reporting limits or scopes and things like that. Great. Thank you so much for that, Aya. One of the things we've learned on a previous podcast is that you guys do DUID testing. What is it that drives your passion for DUID testing? Driving under the influence of drug is a serious crime, which is often considered or treated like minor crimes, especially when there is no injury, damage to the properties, or a death involved. However, you know, most often it is not the first or last time the driver who is under the influence of drug gets behind the wheel. And it's also multiple people get affected by one single incident, not only the driver, but also victims and families of victims and driver. So by providing the toxicology service in this specific discipline, we are playing a very important role in public safety. And that's what my passion is. Perfect. What are some of the latest improvements to your DUI testing? It's not the latest, but I just wanted to mention a couple of things that we did in the last past couple of years. First, in 2015, we made a significant improvement to our DUID by redesigning the immunoassay screen, which is used by most of the toxicological laboratory for basic screening, and we improved the sensitivity and improved the scope. This improvement actually resulted in a dramatic increase of specific drug class called benzodiazepine, positivity from 14% in 2014 to over 21% in 2017. That made benzodiazepine the second most prevalent drug class after cannabinoid in DUID basic panel. So then in 2018, Another improvement was made to include the certain compound to both basic panel as well as the expanded panel. We included these three opioid compounds, fentanyls, tramadols, and buprenorphine to our basic panel. And as for the expanded panel, we have added the novel psychoactive compounds known as NPS compound, such as designer opioid fentanyl analogs, designer benzodiazepines, 
substituted cathinol and metrogenine. So by including these compounds, we were hoping to increase our positivity rate, equivalence to our cases that comes into our door. Perfect. What are some of the latest trends you've seen in DUID testing? As for the basic panel, which includes cannabinoid, the cocaine, like regular drugs that you see, the trends are pretty similar. So I just talked about we were hoping to increase our positivity. That actually happened. Uh, we were reporting 75% positive in January. Now it's around 90% in May and June. Wow. So including those new compounds really helped us to actually show somebody who's under the inference we're really using some of the drugs. As far as the type of compound that we see, uh, cannabinoid is still number one. It's over 56%. And I just talked about benzodiazepine has been high since our last improvement. So that's at 16%. And located East Coast and specifically outside of Philadelphia, we get a lot of cocaine cases. So we have a lot of cocaine and 13%. Methamphetamine, that's also becoming pretty popular in this area as well. And we have newcomer fentanyl, that's over 10%. That's even surpassing other opioid, that's 9%. So we have a pretty consistent trend as far as the basic drugs of abuse in basic panel. As for the designer compound, we have a variety of compound that we have reported so far. We have the fentanyl analogs that's known as FIBF, methoxyacetylfentanyl, cyclopropyl fentanyl, three methyl fentanyls. We have designer benzodiazepine, atizolam, fibromazolam. And ethylpentalone and metrogenine, and we reported multiple cases of those. So I guess the key is that those drugs come and go so that laboratory really have to be keeping up with what's coming on the street and testing for the right compounds. Right. And how do you work then with the law enforcement agencies to make that happen? How do you normally interact with the law enforcement agencies? We have a really great relationship with our DREs and arresting officers. Often they are the ones who give us input what they've seen, like a package looks like. We also work very closely with our crime department. They're the ones who usually test for the seized drugs. So they're the ones who usually have an insight on what's coming on the street. And we have a group of toxicologists who specifically looking into the NPS compound, what's available. So from there, my job really is to narrow down what compound is seen in a DUID and test for those compounds specifically for DUI. Got it. And then once you're identifying trends, are you seeing new trends? Are you working back with a law enforcement agency to tell them, or are you seeing it together, or how does that work? So, yes, I do present at national conferences as well as provide information to our DRE coordinators and our TSRPs. And also we'll try to put some information through NMS either website or communication and give them some of the trend that we've seen. In fact, we are actually going to the DAID DRE conference in Nashville in a couple of weeks. So there we'll also try to provide some of the insight that we have as well. Perfect. What's the largest number of drugs that NMS has reported in a single DUID case? I tried to get the answer. I couldn't find what's the largest, but we easily see DUI case with over seven different drugs, way more than I wish I do. So just last few months or even few weeks, I had a case with methamphetamine and amphetamine. I said it together because that's considered one drug. One is parent drug, the other one is metabolite. I had three different benzodiazepine, clonazepam, aprazolam, and midazolam, which is probably given to him at the hospital. 
but still we reported that. Cannabinoid, cocaine, and morphine, fentanyl, and buprenorphine. So that's a lot of drugs and somebody who's actually driving. Holy cow. You mentioned some of the changes you guys have been making. What are the benefits of the changes? What are really the benefits of you guys being so connected to law enforcement over the last couple of years and the changes you've been able to make to combat the drug crisis, the opioid crisis, all these drugs that are being used for people that are operating vehicles or just walking the streets? Sure. One thing I should probably mention is that we have resources. Uh, It's coming from the National Safety Council, specifically in the Alcohol, Drugs, and Impaired Division. It's NSCADID. They published these recommendations and guidelines for the toxicological laboratory for testing of suspected drugs impaired driving cases. So that's like the one way for anybody, not just NMS, to reference what should be testing at what reporting limits. And we do really have a great relationship with our client. So they will give us insight on what they're seeing. If they really believe that somebody is definitely impaired, but we reported none detected, that's something that we'll look into to see whether we're missing some scopes or maybe sensitivity is not good enough. So the benefit of having these changes are that I believe the forensic toxicology testing is performed to confirm and verify the observation made by the DREs or arresting officers and also to provide the toxicological evidence the drugs suspected are in fact present. So to do that efficiently, it is really important to have appropriate scopes of analyses at the sensitivities really required and customized to the DUID. It might not be the same reporting limit for the postmortem concentration, which you're looking at overdose cases. We're looking at driver, they are impaired, not necessarily overdose. So scopes and sensitivities can be, I'm not saying it's always, but it can be different depending on what type of casework you may have. Perfect. All right, so what have I missed? What about the importance of testing would you like our audience to know? I guess the one thing is that once drivers saying, I just use this drug, they might think that's what they use, but it might not be the case. The common thing I can think about, and which is a problem now, is a lot of people admit that they're using heroin. And when we test the, the blood specimen, there's no morphine, no 6 morphine. Those are the marker for heroin in many cases. And turns out it was a fentanyl in the blood. So it's not that they're lying, but they might not know what they're using either. So officer would really have to be open to other information, but also believe that if their, I guess, assessment, the DRE or SSST assessment pointing towards the um, opioid or narcotic, then go after that. Don't just stop the testing from the basic analysis that might not include the fentanyls. That also can be said about tramadols or buprenorphine. So those drugs might not be included in some of the testing that's performed in other laboratory. So open to other information, but also stick to their evaluation to believe or what drug cluster they're really going after. Also, the trend is very different depending on different parts of the countries. We still have PCP included in our scope because we have a client that's based in a certain part of the country that's pretty heavy on using that region, still see a lot of PCP. Some area might not be like that, so they might not have to test for those compounds. Same thing can be said about other compounds that they might see more than what we see in here. So 
each laboratory really should have their own trending and stats and should be able to provide that information to the client. That way, they're really testing for the right scope and right sensitivities. And I guess the key is really is the scopes and the correct, like, appropriate cutoffs. Those are the really most important things for uh, DUID testing. Wow, that last little bit is amazing. And that's, I think, really what our listeners want to hear. So thank you so much for that. I also want to take this time to thank the great folks at NMS Labs for connecting us with Aya and for helping make this interview happen. Well, I have everybody's attention. Why don't you go out to www.nmslabs.com, bookmark that site, see what other great things they're doing to fight drug addiction, the opioid crisis, etc. It was so great to have you on the show. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. Thank you. And that wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guest, Aya Chan Hosakawa. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on NMS Intelligence. NMS Intelligence.